Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 3 of Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses 2 and 3. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And I'll stop reading there. Now we're uh, presently looking at verse 2. And uh, this is a point in the book of Revelation where God is letting us in on the uh, climax of his whole gospel program, of his whole salvation program. All of earth's events, all of biblical history has been leading and, and rushing onward to the point of the passing away of this world and this universe and the creation of a new heaven and new earth to the passing away of the sinful, evil generation of mankind, the unsaved, and the deliverance of the promises to God's chosen people, those that he has redeemed and saved and made holy through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible has told us all about these two things. God has told us that he has a plan of salvation for for his elect. He has told us his intention of destroying the wicked and his intention of destroying this present curse creation and recreating a new heaven and new earth. And and now, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and we're getting towards the end of this book, towards the end of the Bible itself, it's very appropriate and fitting that God begins to discuss the finality of all things, the final actions that he will take, and it involves the creation of a new heaven and new earth. And uh, in verse 2, it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Verse 1 John was given the vision of a new heaven and new earth, so he saw the new creation. Verse 2 is directing our attention to the new people, the new creatures that inhabit that creation. The people that God has saved are likened to the holy city, New Jerusalem, and, and also it mentions a bride adorned for her husband. Each one of those statements applies to those predestinated to become saved before the foundation of the world for all those that Christ died for 
and paid the penalty of death on their behalf, all those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. And so God is using the language of a holy city or New Jerusalem, and we might think, well, it's a place, um, it's not a people, but actually, when we look up the words that God is using, we find it is the people of God that is actually in view. Well, let's look first at the holy city. God says that John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Now, what makes something holy in the Bible? The Bible uses the word holy a good deal in the Old Testament and New Testament. But why does God use that word? What What is it that makes something holy? Why actually is the Bible itself called the Holy Bible, the, the Holy Book of God? Well, first of all, when we think of holiness, we have to think of God himself. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says in verses 15 and 16, But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God is holy. It's his, it's a attribute of his. It's a characteristic of his. It, it's a fact. God is holy. And to be holy in a Bible means you're pure or identified with that which is pure and you're set apart and, and so forth. Well, God is without sin. He is perfect in holiness. And, and therefore he commands his people, be ye holy. And of course, none of us can be holy without God doing a work of salvation first within us and creating a new heart. And the characteristic of that heart, one of the characteristics is holiness. It's without sin as God is without sin. And that's how the people of God can obey, at least inwardly, that command to be holy. And then then we um, try to obey in our life in this world uh, by turning away from sin uh, in, in order to do the will of God and, and to live a, a life that follows after holiness. Well, also, God is holy, but we read in Romans chapter 7, really a a good verse that tells us why the Bible is called the Holy Bible. In Romans 7, verse 12, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. The law and the commandment is holy. And that covers the whole Bible, because the Bible is a law book. The Bible is a book full of, of the commandments of God. And the commandment is holy. It's pure. It's right. It's good. There is nothing wrong with God commanding you and I and all creatures that he created in his image as the creator. 
that there's absolutely nothing wrong with him commanding that we should um, do this or do that, that that we should love our neighbor or husbands love your wives or wives submit to your husbands or children honor your parents and and so forth and and on and on and on in the Bible God commands keep Sunday as the Sunday Sabbath keep it holy that is do what I command you to do on my holy day why is Sunday a holy day because God selected it God chose that day as a day in the New Testament to emphasize the resurrection of Christ. It's the day that God changed from the Old Testament seventh day Saturday Sabbath to the New Testament first day of the week Sunday Sabbath. And it's a day that God determined would be used for spiritual activities of getting out the gospel and prayer and so forth. So God made Sunday holy, and man disregards it. Man treats it as any other day, because that's the nature of man. That's what what man wants to do, is take that which is holy and make it common or unclean or unholy. That That's what man does with all of God's commandments. God says, thou shall not commit adultery. And, and therefore the law is holy and good and just and right. And man ought to obey because God says, Be ye holy as I am holy. And in order to obtain any sort of degree or standard of holiness, you must keep his commandments. And if you disobey and transgress the holy commandment, then you are living an unholy life or an ungodly life. You're living as a sinner and sinners do not live in a holy way. That's why they mock the word holy. Uh, You know, the word holy is thrown around. Oh, anybody who reads the Bible and prays or or speaks about God uh, in any length, he's a holy roller. They try to use the word holy in, uh, in, uh, as though it's a crime, as though it's something bad to try and show forth holiness. And, and yet God commands, be ye holy. That is the light of the believer. When the Bible says, let your light so shine before men, God is basically saying, in conduct, in behavior, in conversation, be ye holy. Follow the commandments, in other words, which are holy. And as you follow the law of God, and by God's grace are able to do in any way to keep his commandments, you will be living to some degree a holy life. And and that holiness stands out in this evil world. Evil, evil, evil world where nothing is holy 
that the world touches, that the world doesn't know anything about it. It's what God touches, it's what God determines, and God sets apart that is truly holy. And His Word, the Bible, is rightly, aptly named the Holy Bible. It is a holy book. It is the Holy Word of God. And and doesn't this book stand out amongst all other writings uh, found in this world? Why? Because the Bible alone is holy. It comes from the Holy God, and it itself is a holy word. Now, because the Bible was found within Israel of old, within uh, the temple, and the Jews were the caretakers of the oracles of God, which is the word of God, the Bible, that made Israel of old a holy place. That made the temple in Jerusalem a holy temple because God had his presence in the temple and his word was in that temple. Therefore, Jerusalem became known as a holy city. Historically, the the actual city, Jerusalem, was a holy city at one point. But once the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and the veil of the temple at that point was rent in twain, God was letting it be known that his presence no longer resided in that temple and it was no longer a holy temple. And if the temple was no longer holy, then the city Jerusalem no longer was a holy city, and the land of Israel, or Judah, was no longer the holy land. That's why it's such a a mistake and an error for churches or anyone today to speak of the land, or Jerusalem, in the Middle East, the actual places, and call it the holy land or the holy city. It, it, It is not. It is not God made those things holy due to association with him. And God, we could say, has brought profaneness to them or concerning them by departing from the temple, departing from Jerusalem and and departing from the Israelites. The Jews are no longer the holy people of God. And, And that also goes back to the time of the renting of the veil of the temple in twain. God divorced national Israel. They no longer had that relationship. They no longer were his representatives to the nations of the world. He ended the intimacy with them, and he began to evangelize the world through the churches and congregations. And the church... The corporate church became the caretakers of the word of God. And that's why throughout the church age, if you went to a church in whatever country, almost always you would find a Bible, a holy Bible in that church. And therefore the church became identified as the holy place. And God 
mentions this in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, in the chapter dealing with the Great Tribulation, which was the judgment on the churches, God says in verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, once we properly understand what happened at the cross with the renting of the veil of the temple, and we realize that God ended his relationship with Israel and the temple and the city Jerusalem and so forth, we also then realize that here, uh, as Jesus is answering the disciples' question, what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? And this statement about the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place has application um, a couple of thousand years later almost. In our day, at the time of the end, then we realize Jesus in no way, it's not even possible, is Jesus talking about the literal land of Israel or the literal temple or the literal city Jerusalem. It's not even part of the equation in any way because they're not holy anymore. They are not the holy people. It's not the holy place. But there is another holy place that will be in existence at the time of the end, the time of God's judgment on the church. And God uses the figure of a Jew or Judea or Israel or the temple to apply to churches and congregations and those that inhabit them are likened to Jews. True believers are called spiritual Jews in the New Testament. And and so in veiled language, in parabolic language, Jesus is explaining that when you therefore see the abomination of desolation, who is Satan, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And then God, notice how he says, whoso readeth, let him understand. Don't, don't try to take it literally. Again, you'll be a million miles away from truth. But if you readeth, and, and God opens your ears, and it also happens to be the time of the end, because these things have been sealed up until then, and the Lord opens the scriptures at the time of the end, and knowledge increases. If all those things are in place, and it so happens for God's elect alive and living on the earth at this time in history, all those things are in place, then we can have an expectation to understand. And we do understand. We can read Matthew 24 um, like the newspaper. We can read it clearly, verse to verse to verse, because God has revealed these things to his people. But the holy place is, again, here pointing to the church. Now, in Revelation 11... Again, God is going to talk 
about the great tribulation and judgment which comes on the corporate churches of the world, every one of them, at the time of the end of the world. But notice, uh, he'll, he'll use the language of, of the Old Testament, the language of Israel. Again, in order to hide truth, in order to speak in parables, and to hide these things um, until the proper time. And here we read in Revelation 11, in the first couple of verses, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Again, with with this language, the temple, the court without, um, the holy city given unto the Gentiles. Well, there's there's just no possibility for a church that's been given up and over uh, to its own natural mind and, and a church that has devised a biblical hermeneutic that says you must take the plain literal statement and look for no other. Well, what chance does a church like that have to find the truth in these kinds of statements when they disregard that Christ spoke in parables and they disregard just all kinds of scripture where God explains how the Bible must be understood? And the answer is none. None following that hermeneutic. It's only by God's grace, if anyone did follow that kind of hermeneutic, if God would draw an individual in the day of salvation from that to open their eyes and and he did do that but but again that kind of hermeneutic leads people away from the truth but once we understand that temple and and the holy city are references to here the corporate church but temple and holy city can also refer to the elect. It's just like the word church itself. When when Jesus speaks of the church, in some verses in the New Testament, he has in view the corporate church that consisted of wheat and tares, saved and unsaved alike, growing together. But in other places, when he speaks of the church, it is only the eternal church comprised of only the elect that's in view. For instance, when Christ said the the gates of hell would not prevail against his church, that is the elect. Or when he he says in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, that is the elect church, the eternal church made up of all those that God has saved. And and so there's a difference. And likewise, there's two Jerusalems that the Bible talks about. And You know, if sometimes um, some people listen in and they're in the church or they're 
they're, they just don't understand these things because they're not saved and they're probably rolling their eyes and two Jerusalems, right? Here it goes, spiritualizing again. And, and yet, what does the Bible say? And this isn't me spiritualizing. This isn't my words. If we turn to Galatians chapter four, it says concerning Abraham, his two sons, one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. And God says in verse 24, which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Did you get all of that? And, and the word answereth would be better understood as corresponds to. But here God is saying the, the two women are two covenants, the two children are two covenants. The one, Agar, first of all, is from Mount Sinai uh, in, in Arabia and genders the bondage. And she, who is likened, first of all, to Mount Sinai, where the law was given, she corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is. Wow, talk about spiritualizing. And and that's God himself spiritualizing, going in depth, and teaching us, really, how we ought to be looking at the book of Genesis and the whole Bible into the Bible's history for the deeper spiritual meaning. But then he says in verse 26, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And he likens her to Sarah, to Jerusalem's. I didn't say it. God did. One, Hagar, who identifies with the law that serves to bondage, which corresponds to Jerusalem, which here is or now is, the Jerusalem or church in the world, and the one above. The heavenly Jerusalem that we see coming down from God out of heaven in Revelation 21. The Jerusalem that has been hovering above in the heavens throughout all history as God saved his people and added them to that holy city throughout all generations, building his church, building his holy city, building his temple is some of the various language of the Bible. All the while on earth, there was an earthly Jerusalem or an earthly church and so forth. Well, uh, Lord willing, in our next study, we'll look a little bit more at the holy city, the difference. There's a earthly holy city, the church, and there's a heavenly holy city, and also how God uses uh, that word holy in relationship to his people. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. 
For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.